So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Zach Messler. And Zach is a communications expert who helps founders and teams with their messaging and positioning. So great to have you on the show, Zach. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much. Yes, lovely to have you. So, Zach, I'd love for you to just kick us off here with what you feel is one unique approach, tip, tool, or strategy that other consultants should really know about, something that maybe you picked up along the way that you'd like to share. Sure. So, it's got to be about messaging, of course. Mm -hmm. But where I see the biggest area of improvement for messaging, and this goes for everyone, including and maybe especially consultants, is you have this amazing service, right? You have this amazing outcomes that you produce and you help people get to a certain place to go from here to there, whatever that may be. And so what do you do? You talk about it and you talk about that service, but nobody cares about that service. They care about themselves and they care about those outcomes and they care about what you can do for them. And so the advice that I have is flip the message. Flip the message means that that high level brand message that you put out there, which that first thing on the top of your website, it's not about you. It's about your audience. Flip the message. Yeah. Yeah, great. And we actually, we were talking a little bit about this earlier and you, you, because you had an example of a, an advert that was run in 2007 for a car. And you compared their version in 2007 to their new one that they came out with. And what I found really interesting about that, that new advert that they had was it was the actual product was incidental. It was like part of the lifestyle. It wasn't all about the product. It was about the person. And it was, it was also sort of from a first person point of view. So the camera is if that person was actually, you know, you are the person in, in that advert. Yeah, well, and that's exactly right. And that captures the essence perfectly. Again, no one cares about you or your service or your product until they do. And if you are putting into the world messaging about you, and that's the first entry point is how great you are or what this thing is or what this thing does, there's no context there. People don't get it. And so by flipping the message, you're starting with your audience. That's a great example. So um, I'm sure people will remember the ad. Well, I'm, I may be dating myself, but the ad that you're talking about, the first one was from 2006, 2007, around there. Mm -hmm. And it's for the Lexus RX. And Lexus back in the day had this really smarmy sounding announcer. Now, then he was debonair and smooth, but now he's just smarmy, the all new Lexus RX. To 350, putting the world on notice yet again. It's it's all about the car. And fast forward to today, and that ad that that I shared, the tagline is "Live the life." And the ad, you're just following a, a valet. He gets the keys to an RX and, and from uh, a celebrity, and he's driving around and going to parties and doing all these things. And then he drives back. He tosses the keys back to the celebrity, and you just hear the, the line, Lexus, live the life. And what's it about? It's about the experience. It's, a, it's, it's about Lexus, but it's not. That's flipped the message. It's about the audience. It's not about the product or the service itself. Right. Yeah. 
I love that. And so delivering a message that really resonates with your audience and really puts yourself in their shoes. Like what, what are some good ways of thinking about that first? Like how do you go about starting to do that? Well, sure. Well, first off, it's perspective. Perspective is the number one most important thing when you're trying to come up with a message. You have to learn how to look at the world from your audience's perspective. That comes about by interacting. Some people say, oh, know your audience. And that's good. Knowing your audience is good, but that's still from your perspective. And so interacting, uh, interviewing people, asking questions. I'll always ask if, if I'm doing market research type interviews, I'm asking how interviews, I'm, uh, you know, how, excuse me, how questions. How, do, how does this make you feel? How do you feel when this happens? How do you approach X? Because in how questions, you get people really to start thinking and they, they, they'll answer those questions in a different way than if traditionally people ask yes or no questions. So if you, you ask a yes or no question, you're going to get a yes or a no. It doesn't really help much. So it's asking a how question and then it's, it's understanding then the why behind it. So let's say that you're, you're not even at a point where you're interviewing potential, you know, interviewing prospects or interviewing your market. There's another way to do it, which comes out of uh, manufacturing, right? So in Japanese manufacturing, there was an approach that came out called the five whys. This goes back, I want to say it was Hitachi. I don't remember, but, but it's the five whys. And the five whys is asking why five times to get to a root cause. Um, I know before when we were talking earlier before the the recording, we were talking about sell the problem, right? So, so and why I think that's terrible advice. But the five whys really plays to that and to this, and that means that it's it's peeling back that onion to understand and get to that root cause of why a pain exists. Anyone in business, if you're in business, and especially if you're a consultant. If you're in business, you are alleviating a pain. You are helping somebody do something better or fix something. And so it's not good enough to just understand, okay, my market has this pain. Well, why do they have this pain? And then once you understand the why behind why they have this pain, why is that important? How does that make them feel? It's looking at, this is how you uncover your audience's perspective by asking these types of questions and just digging, really digging. And even if you're doing that yourself without, look, speaking with your audience is, uh, and interacting with your audience is by far the best way to do this. If that's not possible, you can try it yourself, but looking at it from your audience's perspective and asking all of these questions, just keep digging. Yeah, great. And when you talk about how selling the problem is is terrible advice, I think one of the things that you also pick up on is the fact that it's a generic piece of advice that's been used again and again. And and so at a certain point, it just becomes this sort of message becomes a bit oversaturated and it, and it just sort of, you know, people just, um, they glaze, they glaze over it basically. Can you, I'm curious, like, can you give any examples of, of where you've seen that sort of messaging have that kind of effect on people? Sure. Well, it's, it's where problem focused messaging becomes fear mongering, 
Mm. Buyers are a lot smarter today. And so if, if you see like the what if questions, right? What if questions like five or six years ago were great. They worked really well in messaging. What if you could fill in the blank? It doesn't work anymore because it's been oversaturated and people have used it so many times that as a buyer now, again, looking at the world from that perspective, as a buyer of anything, I makes the back of my hair stand up because now I, I know you're trying to sell me something. I know you're trying to get me to think about something. The best messaging and the best marketing doesn't feel like marketing. It doesn't feel like you're trying to get me to do anything. Yeah. And I can see how putting yourself in someone's shoes like that, you can see all the messages that you're receiving, you know, do this, buy that, you know, and you, you can really kind of see what works and what doesn't as well at the same time. Well, one of the examples, this isn't so much selling the problem, but one of the examples that goes back to flip the message that fits here really well, I, I've done work with a company called CoreCare. CoreCare is a technology company. Uh, they are in the long-term care space. And in the long-term care space, you have they're, they're often mom and pop shops or they're bigger companies that have multiple facilities. Um, this is this is like nursing homes, that type of facility. And in the United States, you have managed care. These these companies, these facilities get reimbursed after the fact for the care that they've provided. They get reimbursed by insurance and they get reimbursed by uh, government payers. That's managed care. And every once in a while, it's you, you have self-payers, people that are paying that. The problem with that is to get paid to get reimbursed, they have to log into a multitude of systems, a ton of different portals. Each of these insurance companies, each of these government entities, uh, they all have different systems. Some work really well, most don't, hmm. and they don't talk to each other. The problem that that makes for long-term care owners, long-term care facility owners, is if data is different across those systems, which often it is, they get denied. They get a denied claim. In long -term, the long-term care space, 65% of denied claims get written off. It's on average $5 million per facility per year that just gets written off. Oh, it's, it's denied. We can't do anything about this. So core care fixes this problem. This is context to give you mm -hmm. this example. Yeah. Before before CoreCare flipped their message, this is what it said. The easiest way for healthcare providers to regain control of their data. Totally true. Totally true. Once we looked at it, we flipped the message. We looked at it from the audience perspective. Billers in that world always feel like they're fighting. They're fighting with the systems. They're fighting with people. They're fighting with just processes and trying to find the data and complete it and fix it. It's a constant fight. And all they want to do is get paid. So core care went from the easiest way for healthcare providers to regain control of their data, very true, to stop fighting, start getting paid. It's you flip the message, mm. it's much more emotional. It it packs more of a punch. And now I want to know why. Or how? How do I stop fighting? How do I start getting paid? 
And then the very next line, Core Care brings all your data to one place, automating your workflows so you get paid faster. Oh, uh, sign me up. I want to see this. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're simple, like that, that second messaging is more simplified, but also creates a curiosity gap as well. And that's so important. That's so important. Intrigue is your friend. Yeah. Especially on a website. And messaging isn't only about websites, right? But especially on the website, the job of that line, pick a line on the site. The job of that line is to get you to read the next line. That's it. And if you look at it that way, I I want people to be intrigued at the top. We don't have to tell everybody everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You think of the best movies, the movies that, you know, suspenseful movies that pull you in and keep you thinking and guessing. You're totally into the movie because you're trying to figure out what's coming next or you have to see what's next. It's the same kind of thing with messaging. If we get that intrigue going, intrigue's your friend. You get that intrigue going, people want to keep reading. They want to keep, I want to learn, understand more about this. This sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Having those cliffhangers, cliff, cliffhanger movements, uh, moments at the end of, uh, you know, each episode and so on. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so, so Zach, um, I'd love to also find out from you, uh, is there a resource, maybe something on your bookshelf, uh, a book or, or it could be something else, uh, that's had a big impact on you either professionally or, or personally? For sure. Uh, it's going back a little bit, but so I left the corporate world back in 2017. I spent 20 years in product marketing for enterprise technology. Uh, and product marketing is connecting the, the core value, the essence of our offering to what our audience cares about most, to their wants, their needs, and desires through all these different channels. So it's largely messaging and positioning. There's a lot more to it, but that's that's what I glommed onto. When I was uh, in the final throes in corporate, I was at a place where I was ready to to quit. It was uh, from a culture standpoint, I was being yelled at a lot. I was a senior guy and doing all these junior level things, which was fine, but really it it wasn't really hitting hitting the mark. I was ready to quit. I had started reading uh, one book in particular, and I've now gone back to it again and again and again. And it's helped me with be a better communicator, even even though that's not the focus of the book. And that that book is the Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, and I have never, so the four hour work week, um, if people aren't familiar with Tim Ferriss, can't imagine, but if you're not, and if, if you're not familiar with the four hour work week, four hour work week is really a guide to automating parts of your life and automating parts of your business so that you can live as Tim Ferriss calls it, the life of the new rich. You have more time, you have more freedom. So I never used the book that way. Um, I really focused on the first section and that's all I've ever read. But what I took out of that and continue to take out of that is uh, I, I took one mantra and I made it my own, which is what's the worst thing that could happen? I, I've gotten a lot of courage, a lot more courage uh, in my business life, in my professional life. And even just you know throwing the safety net of a corporate job out the window uh, by 
just saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? And recognizing that more often than not, the worst thing that could happen isn't really that bad. And if I map out exactly what I'm going to do, if that worst thing comes to pass, well, now I have a plan in place, so I know what I'm going to do. And then I added to it myself, and I use this actually with some clients, uh, with, with client work. What's the best thing that could happen? So I contrast that worst thing with the best thing. And if I focus then on, uh, on the best thing, I realize that the best thing that could happen, no matter how wild it may be, the best thing that could happen is so much more significant, especially now that I have a plan to deal with the worst thing than the worst thing that could happen. In messaging, you do a lot of experimentation. You have to try different things. And more often than not, it's not a lack of creativity that that stops people. It's the guts to put something out there. And so what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen if you put a message out there and it falls flat is literally nothing. So I got that from the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're in a sense, it, it, it feels like by creating a contingency plan for worst disaster scenario, you're basically limiting your downside. But by also thinking about the upside, you're giving yourself an extra motivator to go the extra mile. Exactly. Exactly. So like, for example, with, with a message, right? Let's say that going back to core care, core care was uncomfortable with putting stop fighting, start getting paid. This isn't true. I'm just hypothetically saying, this. Yeah. but let's say they were uncomfortable with it. Let's say, uh, I don't know that, that, um, <laughs> let's say that one of the founders had a, a, a really negative experience in the boxing world and he just, anything fighting just made him uncomfortable. I can't do it. No. Well, okay. So what's the worst thing that happens if we put this out, out there, um, somebody and somebody gets upset. What's the worst thing that happens and what can we do about it? Well, if someone gets, the worst thing that happens is someone gets upset. Maybe it's the founder, maybe somebody else. Okay. What can we do about it if someone gets upset? Well, we can say we're sorry and we can change the message. Okay. So what's the best thing that happens? Well, the best thing that happens is we can better connect with our audience. Because we better connect with our audience, we grow to $100 million in revenue in record time, and we're featured in all of these different, these different trade publications, which turns into mainstream business publications. We get funded, we get, and we write the whole story out from there, how it, how it goes. Now, all of a sudden, that worst thing in comparison looks so minute and so insignificant as, as opposed to the grandest, greatest possibility. That may not ever happen, but it's possible. And so with that frame, why would I worry so much about this worst thing when I ha now have a plan and I know exactly what I'm going to do if it comes to pass? Yeah. 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 I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. And so if we could get like a, maybe a little bit more uh, meta here, I guess, uh, you know, obviously you, you, we've been talking about, you know, putting yourself in your, 
in your customer or your audience's shoes. Um, I'd love to talk about, you know, who, the people that you work with, uh, you know, what is your, uh, what's a typical or an ideal client of yours look like? What characteristics do they share and, and where do you reach them? How do you, how do you reach them? Sure. So the stuff that I do, and this has been my biggest challenge as, as an entrepreneur, as a consultant, my biggest challenge has been my audience and who do I focus on? Mm. And largely because the stuff that I do is foundational and it works, it works with anything and it works with anyone. And I know it sounds kind of goofy, um, but it's not. And the thing is, as everyone, maybe not, as I think everyone has heard or knows, they say the riches are in the niches. And so you can't go to market with such a broad message that you help everybody, even if you can. So because of my background in tech, um, I'm really good at taking really complex things and whittling it down to a really simple, compelling message. And so I work mostly, or I look to work mostly with visionary tech founders. So these are brilliant technologists. They may have a team. Uh, I, you know, I do work with their marketers or their salespeople sometimes, but, but brilliant technologists, they have technology that they know can change an industry or change the world. CoreCare is a great example. You know, they're looking to their words, they're looking to revolutionize. I don't like that word, but <laughs> they're looking to revolutionize long, the long-term, uh, long-term care facilities and, and uh, revenue cycle and payments. So they have tech that they know can make a demonstrative change for an industry or for the world. And they're not great communicators. They can't communicate beyond the tech, right? So, so they're brilliant. They can talk about the tech and geek out over the tech and, and maybe even geek out over the industry a little bit. But when it comes to a succinct, clear message, that's really hard. When it's it comes to attracting actual buyers and not just geeking out over the tech, that's where they have trouble. And they go back to the well of conventional wisdom, which is, I have this amazing tech, I have to talk about it. So one of the things, one of the litmus tests that I run, if I'm prospecting or, or if someone comes through, if I look at their website, and and that website at the highest level is all about them. And then I dive into product and we're going deep into features and talking about all the technical capabilities. I know I can help them. So I find them mostly on LinkedIn. I, I've done really well on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I, uh, I'd say I post every day. I mean, I try to post every day. Uh, I, I go in fits and starts. It's probably a place where I can improve, but I, that's where I, that's where I get a majority. There and referrals are where I get a majority of my leads. Yeah, interesting. And on on LinkedIn, you do post a lot of content, like you say. And I think one of the things that stands out for me, and that is that you you break it up really nicely. I think one of the common mistakes when people are are maybe using you know, posting on LinkedIn for the first time is they they'll have these big chunks of text they're really hard to read but i see that you you've paid a lot of attention to like the structure and the formatting of your um of your posting and i'm curious like are there any other like you'd say you know key things that you've implemented that work for you in linkedin yeah sure sure so 
I haven't look LinkedIn is it feels like it's constantly changing. I don't think anyone understands the algorithm, and if they say they do, they're kind of full of crap. Yeah, but uh, so I can't tell you if if video or or photos or just text or documents or I can't tell you anything about the inner workings of LinkedIn. What I can tell you from a human attention standpoint, a psychology standpoint, we want that intrigue. You know how in, on LinkedIn, you have that little more button. Yeah, It's writing something that fits above that more. I'm sure that there's, I don't know what it is. I'm sure that there's a, te- a number, like a text string number of how many characters fit above that. That's actually something I think I want to go find out, yeah. but it's, it's coming up with something that's intriguing that makes someone want to click that more. If they click that more, they're reading, they're in get, they're invested now. They're reading, they're into it. And so that's that's the advice. Yeah. Don't just get right into it. Have something up front that relates to what you're going to talk about, but make somebody want to click on that more button. Yeah. Um I've been trying to experiment myself. I think that the limit is the character limit per line. It's something like 50 to 60 characters around that. I can't remember the exact number. And I'm not sure, but it may be different on mobile than it is on desktop. So there's that to take into account as well. Um, but yeah, so, and then basically if you, if you have a text only post, it's like, it's the first five lines, isn't it? That people see before they click see more. But if you have a photo, then it's only three lines. Yeah, I've made that mistake before. <laughs> I've made that mistake before because I thought I knew it from doing the photo post. Yeah. And then, oh no. Yeah. And um and like you say, you know, a lot of a lot of the I don't know, the hard and fast rules that people talk about with LinkedIn, a lot of it is just really guesswork at the end of the day. We don't know what they're doing with their algorithm, but we can only, you know, just try our best. But I'm curious, like, do you follow so some people recommended like using things like before or after bridge, problem agitate solution, the ADA one attention, interest, desire, action. I think that's right. Um, all these different formulas. Are, are there any of those that you you use, or you have your own, or different things that you? So I don't do a lot of calls to action on LinkedIn. Mm. I'll do maybe one out of every five posts that I do. I'll pop a call to action in there, or the call to action will be like a link in the comments or something like that. Yeah. But I don't do a lot of hard selling in a post. Um, I did. I used to, and I'd get crickets. And so, really, LinkedIn is is I hate the word thought leadership, but it's really what it is. LinkedIn is sharing ideas. LinkedIn is sharing up a, a unique, my unique point of view. You talked about how I, I say uh, selling the problem is terrible advice. And that's a, that came from a LinkedIn post. Mm-hmm. I kept seeing people posting about, so the, there was, there was a, a big sales trainer who had his, his podcast. Uh, he has a podcast. He had the podcast uh, the LinkedIn, he has a, the podcast is on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and he had the podcast person post this giant graphic that said, sell the problem you solve, not the solution you sell. And it was getting thousands, this is a couple of years ago, it was getting thousands of likes mm-hmm. and you go into the comments and it's all these people saying, fantastic. Yes. True. True. And it's not, it's not true. It's not true at all. And so I, I wrote a counterpiece to that, 
but mm-hmm. that's a point of view piece. It's something, it's taking something that people see as conventional wisdom mm-hmm. and, and correct and having a different take about it. Yeah. You know, like simple, simple is dumbed down. I can't be too simple. It can't, you don't want to make things too simple because you're going to dumb it down. No, I don't believe that at all. As simple as we can get, the better it's going to be. So it's, that's a point of view that I take consistently. So it's, it's sharing points of view. Yeah. Um, So I'll, I'll do a few different types of posts. There's a point of view post. There's a, I guess I'll call it like a a tips post or a value share post, which is here are three, three ways to get more clear in your message. Do this, do that, do the other thing. And then I'll link to a blog post or something, you know, often, often for LinkedIn, if I, if I have a, a post, if I've done a blog post on something that relates to whatever I'm talking about on LinkedIn, I'll create an article from that blog post on LinkedIn. So I create the blog post first so that my, my site gets the value of the SEO, mm-hmm. but then I'll copy that, pop it on LinkedIn as an article, and then link to that article instead of back out to my site. Because from a LinkedIn perspective, what do they want? This is perspective again. Yeah. What does what does LinkedIn want? They want people on their platform. And so anything that sends you away from their platform, they're not going to like. So at least in theory, I would think that the algorithm does not like it when I send you to my website because you are exiting their world. Yeah. And so I create my, not really my website, but I create my blog, recreate it on LinkedIn as articles. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, I'm within their universe. Yeah, yeah, that is a very good point. I mean, I, I that had occurred to me, you know, the syndication of content, your blog post. You know, there are lots of different places to put it, Medium, LinkedIn. Some people are a little skeptical about how valuable LinkedIn articles are because they don't necessarily have the same reach that your status updates do. But like you say, by pointing people to somewhere where it will still keep them on the platform, um, LinkedIn will probably favor you more for that. Yeah, I think I think people in general, when it comes to LinkedIn and different components or features of it, like articles, mm. endorsements is another one that people tend to poo 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 all over. Uh, I think they're missing opportunities, right? So it's the product marketer in me. On LinkedIn, what's the product? The product is you, and so why wouldn't you do everything possible to help back up why that product is so incredible? So if I have articles there on my that are on my profile where I can feature, right, that I know I want people to read because they're damn good articles, then why wouldn't I write articles? Who cares if they get engagement or not? It's just, it's just if somebody comes to my page, it backs up what I say I am. It's letting my work do the work as opposed to me chest beating. So now I can say, and I do on my website and on my LinkedIn profile, be perfectly understood. And then I, you know, that's everything that I have on my LinkedIn page backs up that value proposition of if we work together, you're going to, your message is going to resonate with your audience. You're going to be perfectly understood. You're going to attract buyers. You know, endorsements are the same kind of deal. People crap all over endorsements because you can endorse anyone for anything. But 
if I'm looking at two different profiles and one person has a 99 plus on podcasting and another person has a 12, well, which one, which one's better? Even if I know that endorsements are crap, it's, it's a numbers game. Yeah. 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 I think also just thinking about, you know, what, you know, what does that also feel like for the person who's receiving it as well? Um, like if you recognize them for something that they want to be recognized for, which they deserve to be recognized for, it makes a big difference as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. And I'll recognize that. Yeah. I, I would love, it's still on the subject of LinkedIn. I'd love for you to share, uh, you have a unique uh, hashtag of your own, which you oh. often use. I'd love to hear, for you to tell the story about yeah. that. Yeah. So I, uh, this goes back to my, my last corporate job. And I stayed there after that. What's the worst thing that could happen? Uh, I have a whole other story about that, but I took a big risk and it really paid off. And I ended up staying at the company. Everything changed. I stayed at the company. I built out product marketing team. Um, at one point I got moved to uh, content and I was leading the content team for this company. And I had, a, I had a team and I built this team. My budget for building the team made so it was uh, it was me and a bunch of uh, early twenty somethings, mm. and I, as a as a a leader, as a, a manager of people and a leader, I am uh, I'm excitable, <laughs> I'm I'm collaborative, and I'm still rooted in the '80s and the '90s. And so, a word that I would use all the time if someone on my team did something great was "boom shakalaka." It goes like from NBA Jam circa like 1992 or something like that. Boom shakalaka. But if somebody did something great, we gave them a boom shakalaka. It's like boom shakalaka. And this one woman on my team who just brilliant said to me, uh, she had been reading. I was at that point writing a lot on LinkedIn, doing a lot more stuff. Like I, I wrote a whole piece on what's the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. So she said to me, Hey, Zach, I dare you to write a LinkedIn article about Boom Shakalaka. So I did. And then she said, Zach, I dare you to put Boom Shakalaka into your LinkedIn profile. Okay. So I did. And then the next obvious step was, well, this is a hashtag waiting to happen. So I did Boom Shakalaka as a hashtag. And I spell it a little differently. Always have. It's, it's phonetic. So boom, and then S-H-O-C-K-A-L-O-C-K-A, -A -A, boom shakalaka. And I started using it as a hashtag. And now, I mean, I, I've been using it for probably, I don't know, almost five years. And, uh, and anything that I do, any post that I pop on LinkedIn, I use boom shakalaka. And it just, it, it, one, it makes it easy for me to find it. Now I'm using shield like you, but, but it, before shield it makes it easy for me to find anything it makes it easy for me to to share that with people if they want to see my point of view or see any of my previous work or or any of that it's super easy and 99% of anything on linkedin that has boom shakalaka <laughs> on it is mine yeah yeah that's great yeah it it definitely um it definitely stands out and it definitely uh, it gives you it gives you a certain feel of personality as well, um, yeah. 
I didn't, I didn't do it to be conservative. I didn't do it. You know, I mean, I actually had a current client tell me, give me some feedback uh, after they did a, a message clarity workshop with me, which is like the, it's the first step to working together. Mm. And so they did the workshop and they signed on as an advisory client. And he said, I said, can I give you some feedback? I said, sure. He's like, that workshop was amazing. And I'm really glad we did it. But, and I knew this guy from my past. He said, if, if we didn't know each other, I never would have signed up on that because of the boom shakalaka thing. The boom shakalaka thing, it's all wrong. Now, the, this is a guy in a very conservative industry, and he's a super conservative guy. And I said, thank you. I thanked him for his feedback. And that's what I did because it's, that's me. I mean, it's, it's excitement. Boom shakalaka is excitement, it's celebration, it's good vibes, it's it's all of that all wrapped up into a fun little word. Yeah. I think you're also one of the first people that I ever saw that was using emoji like you're you have an emoji that's that also aligns with your logo as well. And and it's so effective. That emoji is, I started doing that as it's the emoji signature for boom shakalaka. Yeah. That's what that is. It's the horns, you know, side, the sign of the horns, a fist, a collision, and then the cool sunglasses guy. But then I change up that cool sunglasses guy. That, that last piece is, um, it becomes emotive, right? So that last piece will change. If somebody says something nice on one of my posts, mm-hmm. it'll be the emoji signature, except it'll be the thank you hands. Right. If somebody says something that's really cool and I totally agree with it, it'll be the hands in the air high fives, right? It'll be, so it, it becomes, it, it takes on a personality. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's just frankly dumb luck that it fits well with my logo. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Great. So, so obviously if, if people want to connect with you, LinkedIn is, is the place to go. Yeah, for sure. And other than that, obviously you've, you've got a, a a website that you've that's your own personal one uh, where people can find out more. Yeah, so that's zachmessler.com. and I also have. Uh... Mm-hmm. Clarityrules.com. Great. Fantastic. Well, uh, Zach, I just want to say thanks so much for sharing all your wisdom and insights around messaging. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. But JBS, thanks. Anytime, my friend. This is super fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of Consulting podcast. And as always, you can find out more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofconsulting.com.